Simply this week, um, as Scott said, we get to hear from him later, that God calls us all to something that leads us through suffering. And so um, we worship the Lord out of that place, out of that lens. And so um, I would love to worship the Lord, not because of just what he's done, but rather because of who he is. And so um, let's sing. Thank you. 
glad you're here. Can we just thank God for that time? That was awesome. Give it up. Come on. Um, but if you would pass the friendship folders down the aisle, we appreciate. We want to know you're here and it's, we're excited about what God's going to do this morning. We have our guest speaker, missionary from Indonesia, Scott Phillips, and we're just so excited. Last two services of just God's used him in crazy ways. And so we're excited to see how God's going to use this next hour uh, for his glory. And so a couple things to highlight. Um, we have our, our church picnic coming up on August 5th. There's more information in your bulletin, so if you open that up, there's a big old flyer in there. Some things to pay attention to are the timeline of the day. And so uh, at 1.30 is the softball game. We're going to be eating at 3 o'clock. There's games at 4. And so we're super excited to just spend the day as a church family. I will tell you one more thing. People, it's going to be a pig roast. Come on. Can we get excited about that? Yeah. Come on. All, all 15 of you are excited. Come on. No, it's going to be good. It's going to be an awesome day. This is, we have a lot of new people coming to our church and people that, you know, are looking to meet other people. And so this is a great opportunity to just kind of meet different people and to just say, hey, like, let's spend time. Let's just relax and play some games. Enjoy being outside. Because, you know, summer is dwindling and we just want to take advantage of it. So August 5th, more information in your bulletin. But we're super excited to just spend the day with you guys. On August 9 and 10 is the Global Leadership Summit. Please, uh, if you have any questions, we have scholarships available. We also have discounts for our church attenders. And we're really excited about two days of a leadership development event. It's going to be live streamed from Chicago right here in the auditorium. Tables in here with business leaders, nonprofit leaders, church leaders, and just people who want to grow. And so we're really excited about that. So more information is in your bulletin, also available on our website. And also feel free to email and call in. We'd love to answer your questions. Um, as the ushers come forward for our morning offering, I just want to say that if you're new with us this morning, I just want to say we're glad you're here. I also want to say that if you are here and you're like, how do I, what is this whole offering thing? This is, our offering is we are given to see people's lives changed by Jesus. And so if you are brand new with us, feel free to let the plate pass. This is for those who are regular in the grace of giving. If you're looking to participate, reach in front of you, grab one of those connection cards and write a prayer request because it would be an honor and a privilege to pray for you. So we're 
excited to see how God's going to move this morning. So let's, let's go forward, Lord, in prayer. Jesus, we love you, and we just want to make you the priority. God, you're the reason why we sing even when we don't feel it. God, we can praise you and acknowledge the truth about who we are because of Jesus, even when we don't feel it or have had an experience from last week that would maybe make us want to get excited. God, we can still get excited because you have done this work on the cross and now we have life and purpose in you. And so God, as we continue this morning, I pray that we would just just anchor our identity in you and in nothing else. And God, we, see, we want to see lives changed. We want to see more lives changed in our community, in our city, in our country. And to see our dark world become more light because of the message of Jesus Christ. God, move in our hearts now and only the way that you can move. We love you, Jesus. In your name. our God a hand. We're so glad that all that he's been doing. So, th- all right, we'll try that one. There you go. This morning, as we continue this morning, uh, uh, we've got a guest speaker with us, Scott Phillips. Scott is on our birthday gift to Jesus list. You know, uh, every year we raise this, uh, these funds and we send them around the world to help missionaries. We have been working with Scott Phillips for about 10 or 12 years, maybe more, and uh, I'll tell you what, I remember when he first came in and ju- just looking, telling us what he was going to do, that he was going to go into the, to reach the tribal people in Indonesia. And so he and his wife, and, and they, they came and then all of a sudden he started coming back and every time he comes back, he comes back with more kids. So he's got five kids. Uh, we throw a picture of his family up there, all right? We'll uh, see this picture of his family, just a beautiful family. Let's give God a hand. We thank God for them, you know? And then, then I started thinking, wow, you know, we've been connected, and one of his prayer warriors was one of my prayer warriors, Matt Pettigrew. 
Matt Pettigrew, he came here and uh, for years he prayed for me since I was in second grade. Now I'm the pastor of the church. And I remember Matt Pettigrew telling me when he first met, because the older people, they met him. He came to the Sweet 60s class. And, uh, and Matt Pettigrew connected with him and he says, listen, I'm praying for him. He's going to the jungles. He's taking people to the gospel. And I, he got everybody excited. And Matt Pettigrew's gone on to be with the Lord. But uh, Bill Best still on his prayer team. I'm like, wow, you know what? We've been asking God to, to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus and he's doing it right here. God's doing great things in our church. God is blessing. We are growing, but God is using everybody that we're in connection with. And so here's Scott. We've been praying for him and he is out making disciples. He went to a remote location where the gospel was never even heard of and he started a church there. Can we give God a hand and welcome Scott this morning to our stage? It is good to be back here this morning. There's a lot of people in this church that have been praying for us for a long time. So it's special to be here, and I thank you for standing behind us and behind our family. As far as that picture goes, my wife, if you're not familiar with us, uh, her name is Jenny. And my four sons, or five sons, are uh, Moses, Job, Lazarus, Boaz, and Jedediah is the the newest one. So yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, we all go back and forth to Indonesia together and continue on with this work. If you're not familiar, uh, again, with the background of, of our work, we serve in Indonesia. If you don't know where that is, it's a little bit uh, south of mainland Asia, a little bit north of Australia. And we've been working in that country for over 15 years now. My wife is a Bible translator. And this last year, she just completed the New Testament, uh, translating it into their language. Uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um, we, when we finished translating these New Testaments, we were thinking, how, how can we get these into the, the country of Indonesia? Because it's the world's most populous Muslim nation. It's actually illegal to proselytize. You cannot, by law, you cannot try to convince someone to come part of a different faith than what they are. And that's designed to protect Islam. So we were looking at this thinking, how are we going to get these Bibles into Indonesia? And as we were thinking about it, eventually uh, we got looking at all these kids and we thought, we get two bags for each kid. And that's a lot of bags. So we started packing these Bibles in these big duffel bags, two duffel bags per family member, and we got about half of them into our luggage. The other half we disguised as uh, helicopter airplane parts in boxes and, and sent them in through the helicopter organization that flies us in and out of the jungle. And we just started praying, God, help us get these Bibles into this country. We, we uh, came to the last airplane after we'd been traveling, traveling for a number of days we came to that last airplane and, and getting off the, the airplane and coming into Indonesia, and we had that final security check. And we came to this spot where there was all these podiums set up, and standing behind the podiums, there was uh, Muslim women with the head coverings on, and they were checking our paperwork. And my wife, she was pushing a stroller, and uh, it had three kids in, in the stroller, all sleeping, just on top of each other. She's pushing the stroller. And I was pushing the trolley with the duffel bags, all these duffel bags that I know are full of Bibles. And then I've got a chest carrier on for the youngest baby, and he's just hanging there completely out because they've all been jet-lagged, you know, from these days on the plane. So we were coming to that last check, and I could see the officer standing behind these people, and he was standing there, and he was counting our bags and counting the members in our party and trying to figure out if it matched up. And that's his job. He's trying to figure out if we're bringing something to the country that we shouldn't. I thought, here we go. He's looking at us. He's going to get these Bibles. And we, Jenny and I, we both started praying. We were praying. The lady waved us through. And as we're coming around that podium, that officer, he took a step forward. 
And I thought for sure he was going to pull a set of line and find those Bibles. And then I saw his eyes look at that baby. And then at those other kids that were all laying in that stroller. And I think out of sheer sympathy, he just waved us through. (laughs) And we got through. We got those Bibles onto the helicopter. We got them into the Dow tribe. And I'll tell you what, that was a joyous occasion. Giving those Bibles to those people that had been waiting for them. People were hiking two days with their entire families barefoot from other villages far away just to get their first copies of what they called the Creator's Leaf Book, the Bible. And we were able to give those Bibles to them. But... You know, the way we even found out about that tribe is so many years ago, we got over to Indonesia. We chose that country because it was the world's most populous Muslim nation. We thought it'd be awesome to have an influence in a country like that. We got over there. We got talking to old veteran missionary pilots. We said, is there anywhere you've seen from the air as you fly around where it looks like they haven't had much influence from the outside world? They told us about this one place. They'd fly over and there was only thatched roof houses. No signs of the government, no airstrip, no anything. And then when they'd fly in close, the people would run from the aircraft like they were scared. We said, can you give us GPS waypoints for this place? They said, yeah, they gave them to us. We hired a guide from a neighboring area that had had a contact with the city that spoke a related dialect, we presumed. We got in a dugout canoe. We ended up going up days uh, up a jungle, muddy river that winding up and down through the jungle. And we eventually came around this one turn and there was a bunch of people standing on the riverbank, jumping up and down, screaming at us, waving their arms. We cut the engines. We said, what is it? How can we help you? And they yelled back in the Indonesian language. They were part of the Burate tribe. They yelled back, Mereka akan tembak kamu. Mereka akan membunuh kamu. Which means... There's people, they're going to shoot you, they're going to kill you. We yelled back, who's going to kill us? And they said, on the other side of the river, there's part of the mountain tribes, they're hiding in the jungle, they've got bows and arrows, turn around, they're going to shoot you. So our guide that we had with us, he started yelling out into the jungle in the related dialect that he knew. Which means, how many people are there? Are there people? Are you there? Eventually, one man walked out on the riverbank with bows and arrows, just like these. He planted them in the sand, and he just looked at us. Just stared. Eventually, he stuck out one arm, and he went like this, which we assumed meant he wanted us to come to the riverbank. So a couple of us jumped out of that dugout canoe. We waded through waist-deep water, got up to that riverbank, and as we walked up, he reached inside a string bag that was draped over his shoulder, and he pulled out a colorful parrot red and green parrot, and he handed it to us. We thought, okay, well, this has got to be good, right? This can't be bad. So we thought, we need to give him something back. What do we have? And all we had was a bunch of backpacks full of ramen noodles. Because they're lightweight. You can hike for days with a big pack of ramen noodles. And we were going to be hiking in the jungles, right? So one of us ran back to the boat, got some ramen noodles, ran back to him, and handed him two packages of ramen noodles. All of a sudden, he got this huge smile on his face. He stuck out his hand, we greeted him, and, and then he sat down on the riverbank. He called out into the jungle, said, everybody come out. And a couple more guys came out with their bows and their uh, arrows, and they sat down and started eating those ramen noodles. And eventually they motioned they wanted to get into our boat and go upstream with us farther into their territory. They got in the boat, and that was our introduction into the Dao tribe. And then the rest of the tribe accepted us because we had a couple of their guys in our boat when we showed up. So I'll tell you what, man, it's been an adventure, but I want you guys to see it with your eyes too, not just hear me tell stories about it. And we've made a video of uh, our 
giving them the New Testaments this last year. So check out this video footage and try to wrap your mind around what it's like where we live and where we serve. What does it feel like to be involved in frontline missions? To be a traveler as part of your lifestyle? To feel like you can go anywhere and everywhere? And to see firsthand that there are many places in this world that still have no access to the truth? What is it like to feel free to experience these new places? Free to experience different cultures? Free to try new foods and make new friends? And to feel that that freedom and those friendships are all for a greater purpose? This is a freedom like no other. It's an experience unlike anything else. And it's a lifestyle that has a greater goal in mind and revolves around that goal. This life is a decision. It's a decision to step out despite the fears that would hold us back. An opportunity to trust that when Jesus told us to go into all the world and share the good news with every creature, He meant it. Realize that God has an intricate plan to gather His bride from every language group, tribe, and nation. And that that plan involves every single one of us, including you. Realize that you have only one life to live on this earth. And that there is something far greater than ourselves that is worth living for. Realize that there's no special call from God that you must have in order to do what He has already commanded you to do. God has already commanded all of us to go. So if anything at all, you should need a call if you're going to stay. as exciting as seeing God work firsthand. And we are convinced that there is no greater adventure than living a life that is a part of the cool things that God is doing in this world. To travel the globe with a purpose, to forge deep and unique friendships that last a lifetime, 
to learn another language with a greater goal in mind, to be able to translate God's Word into that language for the very first time, and then to be able to finally hand them their first copies of God's Word in their own language is something that neither we nor they will ever forget. holding you back? What is it that's keeping you from stepping out in faith and being a part of the exciting things God is doing in this world? And what if you were the one that was born into some remote and isolated village on the edge of the world? What if you had never even held a Bible in your own language and still wondered what would happen to you after death? Wouldn't you hope that someday, somehow, someone might just step out and come to you? So that's the tribe that we've been working with for over 15 years now, and it's amazing. When we first went in there, uh, they didn't even have a written alphabet. Nobody in the entire tribe could read or write. So eventually, as we learned their language, we had to equate one symbol with every sound that we heard. We made an alphabet for them. Then we began teaching them how to read and write their own language, all with the hope that someday they'd be able to pick up God's word and read it for themselves. And now all these years later, there's Tao people that are leading the church. The majority of the younger generation can read and write. They're teaching their own people how to read and write now. And God continues to do an awesome work in that place. And it's, it's awesome to be a part of it. It's amazing to see what God's doing and to have some small part in it. I don't only want to tell stories this morning. I also want to share a message from the Word, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the reason I would like to share from this passage is because this is the passage, or one of the main passages that God has been using in my own life in this past year, and in my family's life. And that's why I want to share from this passage. And the theme of the passage is suffering. How God uses suffering for his glory to point people towards Jesus. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 says this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus 
also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can look at your word, that we can come to it with uh, even our our biggest hardships, uh, our biggest concerns, anything that we're dealing with, Lord, and, and you encourage us through the power of your spirit, through your word, Lord. I pray that you would do what only you can do this morning and make your word come alive in our hearts. I can't revive a heart. I can't speak spiritual life into a person, but you can, Lord. You can do what I cannot do, and I ask that you would do that this morning. That you would revive a passion in the hearts of the people in this room this morning for you to know you deeper and to be a part of what you're doing in this world. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So this passage has been special to me this year. I mentioned earlier how, you know, we took those Bibles into the Tao tribe. And we got them on the helicopter. We got them in there, and the people knew we were coming. You know, we sent word ahead that we were coming. And they were hiking, some of them families, hiking barefoot for literally two and three days with belongings hanging off of string bags off their heads up multiple mountains to come get their first copies of the New Testament of God's Word. What I didn't mention to you earlier was that as we got ready to take those Bibles over to Indonesia, we had just come through one of the hardest times that we'd ever had in our own personal family life. What had happened was we were expecting our fifth child at that point, right before we got on the airplane. Jenny was about three months pregnant at that time. She was starting to show a little bit. We were getting excited about this fifth baby that was coming. And then one evening, she started complaining about a back pain. She complained about this back pain. I said, let's wait a few hours and see what happens. It got worse, and eventually she was in so much pain, she couldn't stand it. We got her in the, in the uh, car. We got all the other kids in the car and then rushed to the emergency room. We got about halfway there, and she was in so much pain, she passed out with her eyes open. My kids were in the back seat, and they thought she had died. They were yelling up to me, is mommy dead? And I said, no. We got to the emergency room. I yelled in there. They brought out a stretcher. They put her on the stretcher. They took her in there. Long story short, her appendix was going bad, and she had to have an emergency surgery. We began crying out to God, pleading to God, take care of that baby. Please don't let anything happen to that baby. But sure enough, within about a week, she started to show the first signs of miscarriage. We lost that baby. But she was so far along that she couldn't deliver the baby at home like a normal birth. We had to go to the hospital. We had to go to the hospital and then she had to go through all of the the labor and the contractions and all of the things that go with the normal birth only to be given a dead baby. They said, what do you want us to do with this baby? Do you want us to dispose of it or do you want to take it with you? Jenny wanted to take it with us. So they put that baby in a shoebox, they handed it to us, and when Jenny could get up, we took it home. We kept it in our house. The next day, I went out in the woods in a little place that I could find, and I dug a hole with my own hands. We got the kids, we got Jenny, we got that little box, we walked out in the woods, and we put that baby in the hole. We covered it over, and we prayed and committed the baby to the Lord and just cried together. 
We'd never dealt with that before. We'd never experienced that type of pain. It was all new to us, and it knocked us off our rocker. I thought, we can't go to Indonesia now. We were due to leave within a couple weeks. I thought, we can't do it. How can we do this? How can my wife do this? After a couple days, though, and a couple weeks of praying about it, thinking about it, she said, I think we still need to go. So we went over to Indonesia. I explained to you how we barely got through customs. We got the Bibles on that helicopter. We flew into the tribe, and you know when that helicopter, it flies in, it echoes off the walls, those helicopter rotor blades. It's so loud. And it announces to everybody that we're back. And immediately people start hiking up to our village to get their first copies of the New Testament. And as we were sitting there and one clan after another was hiking into the village, whole families hiking in together, we noticed something very unusual. It was something we'd, we'd never seen before, which was that it seems like every single family, every single clan that was hiking into our village had a newborn baby in tow. Every single one. We couldn't believe it. We'd never seen that many babies in one village. The reason we'd never seen that many babies in one village is because their babies, they don't live long over there. The majority of their children, they die. They don't have hospitals. If they're going to have any medical treatment or medicine at all, Jenny and I give it to them and we're not doctors. So all these babies were being brought into the tribe and we had just lost one of our own and we were looking at this and of course we were looking at those babies. We were smiling and pointing at them and and eventually there was a woman, her name was Pawogapi. She looks at us and she says, you're looking at those babies, aren't you? In the Tao language, she asked us. And I said, yeah, we are. She said, man, she said, you realize why there's so many babies now that are living? I said, no, what's your take on it? And she said, things are different for us here now. She said, Degapia, things are different. They call me Degapia. It means tall white tree. <laughs> they call my wife Ugiratauwo, which means stream in a dry barren land. She said, dig up here. Things are different for us here now. I said, explain. She said, you got to understand. She said, before we had the words of this book, the creator's leaf book, before we knew any different, we followed the ways of our ancestors. She said, if we had twins that were born, we would assume that one was an evil spirit and we would take it and we would bury it alive. That's what we did with twins. She said, now we let them live because we realize that they're a gift from the Creator. She said, before when our babies would get sick, we would do incantations and rituals that were handed down from our ancestors and we would find the part of their bodies that were hurting. We would take bamboo knives and we would slice that part of their body to drain the bad blood from the evil spirit that they had, had been shot by. And then those babies would often die. She said our babies would get malaria, tropical diseases, they'd die from that. She said, but now when they get sick, she said, we call out to the Creator, we call out to Jesus for healing. She said, and our children are living now. You used to ask a Tao person, you'd see a Tao person with a couple little kids, and I would ask them, what's your baby's name? And they would say to me, Dimi petu no kana. Dimi petu ganta. And I I would listen to him. It would knock me off the floor, off my rocker, because what they were saying was, I didn't give it a name. It doesn't have a name. Because I don't want to tie my heart around it. And they don't even name their kids till they're three or four. Because so many of their children would die. That was their life. And this woman said, things are different for us now. Not only 
did this book and God's spirit working through it bring spiritual life, but even their physical lives are changing. People are literally able to live now because of the change that this book's brought, and that's the power of the word of God. That it is. It is. That's awesome. God's spirit working through God's word. Every last tribe needs it. Every last people, every last nation. It's, a, it's amazing to think about the change that's happened there. But, you know, whenever we go back to the Dow tribe, they ask us, so what's happened in your own life since you left? What's happened since last time we saw you? And we'll tell them things we'd gone through and things that we'd seen and things that happened. And so I began telling them, you know, we lost this baby when Jenny was so far along. And as I was telling them this and we were talking to them about this hardship that we had come through, I looked and the, of the people sitting around listening in that thatched roof house, there was my friend Deba Toma with his wife and children. There was Da Poi with his wife and children. There was Kogi Pia with his wife and children. And all of a sudden it struck me that up until that point, of all the families around in that thatched roof house, we were the only ones that had never lost a child. All of them had lost children, multiple children. That's the way it is for them over there. They thought it was strange that we had four sons and had never lost one. And all of a sudden they began to open up to us about deep sufferings, pains, hardships that they'd been through and the loss of their children because they saw that we had experienced a similar pain. And new avenues of ministry were opened through that, through that suffering. Why does God make us into people that suffer? Why does he make us into weak people? People that this first verse describes as jars of clay. What is a jar of clay? It's a vessel that you could drop it from this height and it would shatter into a million pieces. That's the way the, the Bible describes us. We're like the flowers of the field, the grass of the field that's here one day and gone the next. We work for a few hours, we have to eat to be able to keep working. We work for a few hours, we're up for a few hours and we have to sleep to be able to even do anything else. We're weak people. We're weak people. Why does God make us like that? This verse tells us that there's a reason he makes us like that. We have this treasure in jars of clay, this treasure, this, this message of Jesus, that our treasure, we have it in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why God makes us into weak people, to show that he is strong. That's why. This verse tells us why. You think about the author to this passage. He goes on in verse 8. Paul, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. If you want a more exhaustive list than that, he has one in 2 Corinthians 11. He talks about how he was multiple days and night afloat at sea. He was beaten by the Jews with lashes. He was stoned multiple times. He was often hungry, often in cold, often sick. And he says, on top of this, I've got the concerns for the church on me. Anxiety I have. But then he ends it off in 2 Corinthians 11 and he says, but if I'm going to brag, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the things that show my weakness. He goes on in Colossians 1.24 and he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for the sake of the church because I'm filling up the afflictions of Jesus Christ. How can someone say that? I rejoice in my sufferings. Because he realizes that God's got a plan to use it for the building up of his church. That's how he could rejoice in it. 
And this is an important lesson to me in my own life because I know that more suffering is coming, just like suffering that we've been through in the past. And it is the same for everybody in this room, every single person. Second Timothy says that all of those, who, all of those that desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. If you haven't experienced it yet, it's coming. The real question is how will we react to it when it comes? How will we see it? God does powerful things through suffering. You know, one of the most awesome things, one of the greatest stories I'd love to share about the Tao tribe is how there came a point where we'd been studying their language. We'd been studying it for months and months and months. You know, and, and we were slowly learning their language, but there was one specific point where we realized that it was a tonal language. They say things at different pitches and hold them out different lengths to convey different meanings to what to us what sounds like the same word. If they were saying the sentence, if they were saying the sentence, that person eats people, which is a sentence they would say because they have the Kehu tribe that lived to the south of them that's cannibalistic. They would say it like this. They would say, "Me me 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 nugi." And all four of those mes have different meanings according to the pitch you speak them at and how long you hold them out. At the point that we heard that, I thought, Lord, what am I doing here? I'm a D student. I barely graduated high school. I barely made it through college. My wife did my homework so that I could get through college. I shouldn't have a degree. I shouldn't. It's, it's, it's a fraud. <laughs> but uh, at this point, we thought, man, what? We're, we're never going to get this language. On top of that, we were getting malaria over and over again, and Giardia and amoeba. We were losing weight like crazy. Eventually, we thought, I don't know how much longer I can stay here. In addition to that, we'd pretty much become the village entertainment. People would wake up in the morning, and they'd come straight to our house and sit in our house and just sit there and watch at us and giggle and laugh all day long. Because we looked different, we talked different, we used a different language, we ate weird foods, and they, they would just watch. And just then they'd ask us a question about it. And of course, in our limited language ability, we'd make all kinds of mistakes and say something back wrong. Maybe like a two-year-old would, would talk, so you can get their point, but they just sound cute, you know? And that's how we sounded to them, and they would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh at us. Eventually, we got sick of being laughed at. We thought, I'm sick of being laughed at. I feel like a fool, you know? I'm sick of being laughed at all the time. We wanted to go home. We were about to give up. We felt like we'd suffered enough. It's time to get out of here. About that point, we were getting ready to call the helicopter to take us out so that we could go home. And that one of those final mornings, there was a, a morning where I woke up and my attitude was terrible before the sun even came up. Didn't want to be there. And I start hearing bark doors slide back from thatched roof houses all around us. And people were coming out, and I was thinking, here we go again. They're going to laugh at me all day. I don't want to deal with this. And then I hear the first guy of the day walking up the trail in front of our house. He walks up on the porch, and we do the morning greeting, which is, Nemu me abba, abba, abba. Nemu me abba. I'm snap knuckles. Abba, abba. He walks up on the porch, and I'm thinking to myself, while he's walking up, I've got to think of a question to ask him so I don't have to talk and get laughed at. That's what I was thinking. He walked up on the porch. We did that greeting, and then I said to him, friend, I have a question. And I could only think of one question. He said, okay, Degapia, go ahead. Tall white tree, what's your question? I said, my question is this. I said, we moved here. We built a house. Then you built a house. 
next to us. I said, why? Why did you build a house next to us? It's the only question I could think of. He got half smile on his face and he said, dig up Pia, I need to tell you a story. He went on and he said, when I was this high, he said, I woke up in the men's hut one morning. All the other men in the room were waking up. My father, he woke up last. He sat straight up and he said, I've had a strange dream. And we said to him, tell us your dream. And he said to us, he said, it was the strangest dream. I dreamed that there was these strange looking, really pale people. They hiked into our valley system. They told us they had a great message for us. Somehow they could speak our language. And then after we heard their message, we became so close with these strange-looking foreigners, these outsiders, that we were like family. And then I woke up. Apiawogi told me this, and he said, Dig up here, friend. He said, my father died a long time ago. He said, but now all these years later, he said, here you come. You come in, walking into our valley, you've got a strange look, you start trying to learn our language, you tell us you've got a great message for us. And he said, you want to know why I've built my house next to yours? It's because I'm waiting for your message. I couldn't believe it when he told me that. It blew me away. And then as we continued to learn that language, we found out that it was multiple chiefs from multiple villages over two different valley systems. Their fathers had all had that same dream one generation before we got there. And then they saw us as the fulfillment to that dream. And when we taught for the first time, we taught semi-nomadic people that don't stay anywhere longer than two to three days for three months, starting in Genesis, all the way through the prophecies of the Old Testament to the life of Christ. And they stayed, and then the Tao Church was born. God prepared them. He did that. He did that. But we wouldn't have found even out about those dreams if it weren't through the gates of suffering, through bringing us to a point where we were ready to give up. And that's the only question we could think of. That is wild to think about. It came through suffering. I love that Paul uses the word perplexed in that verse 8. Perplexed. What does that word mean? It's like someone that's just standing there saying, I don't get it. And we all come to that point in life through different sufferings that we have. God, why? I don't get it. Verse 10, he goes on saying, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be manifested in our bodies. You know, there was a while there where the Tao people, they didn't even really believe we were fully human. They, they, would, they would look at us, and we were just so different to them. We were so strange to them. They wondered if we were really fully like them. There was one day where a man named Daokagi, he asked me a very strange question. He, he said, hey, Degapia, he said, I got some questions about your people. I said, okay, what's, what's your question? And he said, my question is this. He said, do your people die? I said, do our people die? I said, of course we die. He said, is your grandfather alive? And I said, yeah, my grandfather's alive. And he just shook his head because they don't live that long. Even the fact that there's this many people in here with white hair would blow them away. They wouldn't know what to think about it. And then he said, well, is your father alive? I said, yeah. And I, said, and I saw where he was going. So I said, but my great-great-grandfather, he's dead. And he's like, oh, okay. But I could tell he didn't really believe me. He didn't believe that we were like them. You know when he finally did believe that we were like them? Was when we started getting malaria over and over and over and over again. Six months in a row one time we had malaria. And they, you know, when you get malaria in the Tao tribe, they don't tell you go rest, go sleep it off when you get sick. They actually will gather around your house and they'll scream into your house all day long. They'll scream in, Or something like that, which means, friend, 
I feel pity for you. Get better, get better. And they'll just scream it in your house all day long. As far as sleeping your sickness off, forget about it. That's what they do to show they love you. And they would do this month after month after month whenever we got malaria. And eventually, a guy, Kogi Pia, he, he said, hey, he said, so what do you do when you get malaria in your country? I, I said, uh, well, we don't have malaria in my country. And he said, well, you don't have malaria? I said, no, we don't have it in America. And then he says, okay, well, what do you do when you get dengue fever in your country? And I said, well, we don't really have that either. He said, okay, and he starts naming all these tropical diseases. And the majority of them, I'm telling him, we don't even have them. Eventually, he looks at me and he says, well, then what are you doing here? Why are you staying here? You keep getting malaria. But you know what? That question begged a beautiful answer. And the answer is this. I have this treasure that I want to give to you. My message that I want to give to you is worth enduring through the suffering to get it to you. And then they see that we really believe what we say we believe. They see that this message is great to us. And a message is so much more powerful when it's seen in your life instead of just heard with your words. That's what suffering does. It gives our message credibility to the people that we want to minister to. They realize that we really believe it. Verse 10, he says, always carrying the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be manifested. This treasure will come out in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus will be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he's got two different so that's there. And they're both pointing to Jesus. And then in verse 12, he sums it up. He says, so death is at work in us. We're all dying. Everybody in this room is dying. I'm dying. Death is at work in us. But life in you. That's what God uses, these sufferings, this death we're all headed for. For. To make himself known through our bodies. To people that are watching us, trying to figure out if we truly do believe what we say we believe. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's a beautiful thing to think about. Suffering in missions and in the Christian life, it shows a watching world that we're weak and that God's strong. Suffering in missions and in the Christian life draws us closer to our Savior. We cry out to him in ways that we've never cried out to him before because we've got nowhere else to turn. Suffering in missions and in the Christian life shows God's worth as our greatest treasure. And suffering in missions and in the Christian life is a tool that God sovereignly uses to point other people towards himself, towards spiritual life. That's what God does through our suffering. So what's my conclusion in this? What is my challenge to you? My challenge is this. Suffering's coming. So may we be people that when it comes, suffer well. And point people to Jesus through it. That's my challenge to you this morning and my challenge to myself. May the Lord make this into a church that suffers well. You know, I've shared that uh, story earlier about how uh, God prepared them before we ever got there. And uh, it was, that's a powerful truth to think about. It really is. There was a lady, she walked up to me one time at the end of a conference and, and she said, she'd heard us share this and she said, Hey Scott, I've got a question for you. 
She said, what would have happened to those dreams if you would have refused to go? I didn't always want to go to the jungles of Indonesia. I used to want to go start a skate park in Los Angeles, California. That's where I grew up. I thought, I'm going to tell people about Jesus there. But eventually I realized that any skateboarder in California, if they really care to know, they can get on that board and just ride to Walmart and buy a Bible and just open it up and read it. And there's whole tribes that are begging and don't have anybody to tell them in their own language. don't have scripture available to them. So we decided to go to another place. But what if I would have pursued that dream and refused to go to Indonesia? She was asking me, what would have become of those dreams? I thought about that question for a long time. But the conclusion I came to is this. You know, if I would have refused to go, I don't believe the Tao people would have missed out. I don't believe that God would have missed out. I believe that God would have raised up somebody else and he would have reached them anyway. I would have been the one that missed out. That's what I believe. Someone else would be telling these stories right now. Why do I believe that? Because Revelation chapter 7 tells us there will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. His bride will be made up of every last tribe, every single one. And Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that this we know about God, he is not a liar. It's impossible for him to lie. God will make sure that his bride is complete. He'll make sure of it, no doubt. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against it. That's a battle cry. So you know what my challenge, my second challenge is to you this morning is? It's simply this, don't miss out. Find a way to be a part of what God's doing in this world. To be a part of that adventure, that excitement. Grab onto it, do everything you can to be a part of it. And don't miss out. And that's going to be an awesome day when every last tongue, tribe, nation, and language is part of the bride of Christ and his bride is complete and we're walking that aisle into the arms of Jesus being presented by God the Father as Revelation 21 talks about. Don't miss out. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it's powerful and I pray that you would rekindle a passion in everyone in this room this morning to know you deeper and to be a part of what you're doing in this world and I pray that if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, that isn't yet part of your family, Lord, that they would place their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation, for the doing away of our sins, Lord. Work that miracle in their hearts that only you can work. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's thank Scott. This morning as we close our service, I want you just to reflect on what you've heard this morning and respond. I was just sitting here thinking, when's the next kid coming out of our church that's going to go into the remote place? Maybe it's one of these fifth and sixth graders right here. Going to get up and go be adventurous like these guys. Maybe it's one of you, you're getting ready to retire, you want to do something with your life, you want to give it for a cause. Look what these guys have done, suffered malaria six months in a row. Our message is so worth it. Some of you are going through some suffering, and I know because I'm walking through the journey with you, and it's extreme suffering right now, but our message is so worth it, folks. Our message is so worth it. God wants us to suffer well so that his message has credibility, and it doesn't have credibility unless we suffer. Jesus suffered, right, to the cross. So let's stand together, and as we respond to this today, 
I'm going to open up the altar. If you'd like to come and kneel as we sing, would you come and kneel and just pray? Let's seek the Lord. Let's ask God just to rise up this mission in our church as we go forth. And maybe today you have not accepted Christ. Would you just open your heart to Jesus as we sing? sing holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was in his and is to come with all creation i see praise to the king of kings you are 